first ball. Yes, he's got a wicket first ball. Time, definitely darkest time in my career. I've never been injured before. Yeah, I was not a very good person to be around. I did find it pretty difficult at the start, living in Shane Warne's shadow. But for me, I looked at it as a challenge that, okay, I didn't get the chance to prove 99% of the public wrong. You're no different to anyone else. All, all we do is be extremely good at what skill set we have. 350 as the test match wicket for Adair to Lyon. This is my way of giving back to the game and hopefully they might take out five seconds of 230 minutes. Go, that resonates with me and I can go on to be bigger and better and I'm going to go chase my dream. I'm not going to fear failing. I'm going to go out there and, and live it and chase it. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing or whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. All right, so our guest today needs needs no introduction, but I'm going to try my best anyway. So our guest today was famously the groundskeeper at the Adelaide Oval and got his test debut um, after only playing four Shield games. Uh, he's the first Australian to take a wicket off their first ball in test cricket since Arthur Cunningham in 19, uh, sorry, 1894, um, and which makes him the third only Australian to, to do that. With the same game first match, went on to do five for 34 in his first innings and now sits just four wickets away from the magical 500 wickets with 496. He's the founder of Goaded, a platform which was built to give fans exclusive access to their favorite elite athletes. And he's the author of the nice Gary children's book. Some know him as Gary, some some the goat. He's the number eight test wicket taker in the world and the greatest off spinner of all time. He's, of course, Nathan Lyon. Welcome to the podcast, mate. I appreciate you giving us your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Nice introduction. For sure. Now, with you where I want to start, we've obviously had a bunch of we've had a bunch of professional athletes um, on the podcast that have played for for club and country. Probably not to the same level as 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 you have, but what really fascinates me about athletes, obviously. My world was business and there's a lot of crossover with, with, with athletes. And, and the thing that really fascinates me is people like yourself, the few that start to realize, Hey, I'm, I've got a really awesome platform from my sporting career, from what, what I've achieved. And they go and build something or create something that lives on long past their, their playing careers, obviously goaded something I'm really interested in now for people that don't know, um, how would you explain what goaded is? As you said, it gives fans access like they've never had to professional athletes, elite athletes, but tell everyone listening in, in your own words, and then I'll feel in kind of my understanding of, of what Goated is and, and why you, and why you built the platform. Yeah. So firstly, um, I'll ask you a question when you were a kid growing up, what yeah. sport did you like? Uh, cricket. Cricket. Who was yeah. your favorite? Uh, cricket? Brett Lee. Brett Lee. Brett so Lee. If, if you were 14, 15, had mm-hmm. access to Brett Lee, mm-hmm. What would you done? Oh, mate, it would have been the best experience ever. I remember my second favorite player because again, I'm from I'm from Liverpool area. So second favorite player ever was Michael Clark. Met him at like a, a rep awards night, and I remember buzzing for for months, months and months and months. Honestly, just would have motivated me to look. I was never the most talented athlete, but just those little moments as a kid when you when you grow up and you meet your heroes, it 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 really inspires you, inspires you to do fucking anything, you know. Yeah, so this is where Goaded's been born. So um, Goaded's a family business between my wife and her father. So my father-in-law were sitting around dinner table and um, Mike was asking me different questions about what I want to do after the game. And um, big thing for me has always been about giving back to the game. It's given me so much and, and it's supporting my family and my kids and everything else. And I was like, well, how can I aspire um, to I don't know, give back to the game and I know help young boys and girls chase their dreams as well. So 
this is where Goaded's been born. Um, I, the amount of messages that I get on Instagram saying, can you give me tips? Can you give me tips on this? And you, you reply to five, then you get another 15. So <laughs> this is – Goaded is basically a little – a platform for me just on my Goaded um, – videos is that you can tap in and understand what I'm thinking at the top of my mark when I'm playing a test cricket against Virat Kohli or or in the middle of the ashes or you can see all my skill sets, training, um, sitting down with the psych. So basically I've sat down and filmed 230, 240 minutes of um, footage, interviews, um, training, both fitness um, and fitness strength um, skill-wise as well. So just getting a totally di- different insight into uh, your favourite athletes. And we've got Kaya Simon on there at the moment. She's played 111 games for Matildas um, and we we don't need to talk about Matildas. We all know how what they did. And incredible. How, yeah, that, that incredible journey. But we've got James Tedesco coming on and to someone to tap into his mindset about rugby league, the way you prepare, the way Tuzzy fear failing, um, all that stuff. So I just feel like it goaded is just, just that platform that you can connect with your favourite athletes and understand, get advice because there's in real life meetings, there's um, live Ask Me Anythings, there's all the videos, there's signed merchandise that you're up um, going raffles to get and all that stuff. So I'm I'm pretty pumped about it to be honest with you. And I, I've I've did a little bit of research as well. And obviously you 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 came from the country. You're a, you're a country kid from young. And you spoke about being able to have the impact of, again, because even someone living in Sydney, it's not easy to get access to these athletes. But, you know, I remember growing up, you know, once or twice a year, there might be the opportunity to do like a one-day masterclass and you'd meet one or two. But kids from the country don't get that opportunity. What does it mean for you to be able to kind of level the playing field and give kids living anywhere in Australia around the world the possibility to connect, get that sort of information in terms of preparation, training, mindset, or just even be a fly on the wall in some of those moments and take people behind the scenes? Um, yeah, well, another story why Goda was born was I am from the country. Uh, I got an older brother and mum and dad, there was four of us, and mum and dad took us over to Shield Cricket in Canberra one day and um, we all, back in the day, I was only about six or seven and all I wanted to do is get all the signatures um, and say hello to these these players who I thought the sun shined out of them. <laughs> and uh, there was one player who said, oh, I'll do it at the, at the end of the game. So we waited the whole day. Um, he went in the change room and waited until they come out of the change room and he walked straight past said, I'll do it tomorrow. And I was in tears and upset and all that stuff because we I knew we weren't coming back. We, it was an hour and a half drive for us. So um, that really has always stuck with me that I don't want to be that player to not give back and not have time for anyone because you're, you're no different to anyone else. All, all we do is we're extremely good at what? skill set we have, but we're no different. So if we can make a impression on a young boy or girl or a fan of the game to go, oh, no, he actually gave two minutes to to myself and inspired me to go out and play the game, then that's that's all I can do because we're role models in so many different ways. So that's where I stand with that because – and with Goaded, like I'm handing out I think 270 passes to the New South Wales – country cricketers, so the the pathway systems. Next Thursday night I'm doing a um, a live question and answer thing with, with those special members and they're getting a free pass to 
to go to because, as I said, this is my way of giving back to the game and hopefully they might take out five seconds of 230 minutes mm-hmm. and go, nah, that resonates with me and I can go on to be bigger and better and I'm going to go chase my dream. I'm not going to fear failing. I'm going to go out there and, and live it and chase it. And and having that impact, obviously, you're you're quite universally known um, from the Australian public as like a pretty down-to-earth, humble guy. Now, from from what I've read, obviously, a lot of that comes from your father and how he raised you, wanting to keep your boots on the ground. How do you think that do you, do do you, do you credit your father to a lot of that nature of yourself? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Even all my family, um, dad's the oldest of nine, so at Christmas time, we're always playing out, out outside. But you're never never allowed to win all the time, <laughs> so you're able to. You have your feet put back and down, and you're never as good as what you think you are. Yeah. Type of thing. So, yeah, my my childhood's very, um, I don't know humbling. I guess um, parent parents were extremely good to us, and they still are, and they did anything for us, and made me realise it as as a parent now how how incredibly special it is. But you also got a big role in making sure that you doing a decent job as well. And what's that moment like for you to go from, you know, this just country country guy that grew up and, you, as you said, you were just really good at playing a sport. You just happened to be really good at playing a sport. One thing led to another and you ended up being Australian Test cricketer. But when does it click for you and, and, and is it a weird moment? I remember even on a much, much, much smaller scale to you, I'd go back and, and do some speeches to my old high school. I, I was a public school kid, didn't grow up with a lot of money. And, like, just seeing the way, like, my story can inspire just the Kusula High kids was, was crazy. But what was the moment for you that you realized that, holy shit, like me just giving someone 30 seconds after a game actually does have impact? Um, oh, yeah, there's been been some some big moments um, for me, whether it's at Big Bash Games when I was playing here with the Sixers, um, knowing that a lot of people were driving out from the country just to come watch us play. And uh, I'll get a lot of feedback from my parents with, with with that stuff. Mum's a dental nurse, and she has a lot of people come up in there and to get the kids to get, lay in the dentist chair, and they <laughs> say, "Oh, well, this do you like cricket?" and start talking about cricket. Well, this is Nathan Lyon's mum, and all that stuff, and that changes the whole mm. whole experience at the thing. So, understanding that I'm able to have that effect on people, but also understanding that if by me stopping saying hello or sending a video message or, or doing something like that can change someone's total perspective of life um, type thing. It's pretty pretty special and pretty remarkable in a way that we're role models in the cricket field, certainly. But you can be role models in so many different ways in life as well. And what's so, I feel like, special about your story is obviously once you hit Shield, you only played four games and then you burst onto the scene for Australia pretty quickly. But going through the ranks as a kid, you weren't necessarily – you know, in all the rep teams growing up, you weren't discovered really quickly. But what do you think it was that you did differently? And and there's something that I really like about what you say about kind of your bag of tricks. You might not have, you know, the do through the flipper, all these crazy balls, but something that you you have 100% belief in is your best ball. And and if you can be consistent and, and persistent and shot with your best ball time after time after time, eventually the batsman will make a mistake and you'll get the wicket. And I think that's a really good message for, for kids listening that, you know, might not necessarily be the fastest, the strongest, the most naturally talented, but if you have patience and persistence and you keep working on your craft, then there's a good chance that you'll be able to knock down any door that you that you get to. Yeah, 100%. So I started working with 
John Davison, my spin coach, um, even today, I, I've got him flying down next week just to do a, an oil and grease change, as, as I call it. But <laughs> um, I don't know for me, as a young kid, I was never big enough to to bowl fast or anything like that, and I was never really strong enough to bowl leg spin. Um, so I needed to find a way. But my dad was and my brother were two big people saying, "Well, if you can bowl your best ball over and over and over, you're going to challenge someone's defence." And if you look at Test cricket now, or if you look at any form of cricket, if you can challenge someone's defence, you're going to get have the best chance of creating a chance. So I don't know. I feel like being a country kid was brought up a lot of resilience in me as well. I was playing grey cricket against men at the age of twelve, mm-hmm. so like I had to like either find a way or sink or swim type thing. So um, I know mum wasn't overly too happy with me playing. Um, I'm both Brendan and myself playing against men at age 12, but I think that's that's where we learned how the game and that's how you, you build that resilience and understanding that you're going to fail at some stage, but every time you fail, it's a chance to learn and if you, it's okay to make a mistake, but just don't make it three to four to five times. Building the resilience is one thing, but also like being around the culture that is, you know, men's open age, like grade cricket, the chat, the banter, all of that stuff. Do you feel like playing grade cricket uh, with these fully grown men at so young, obviously it built the resilience, but do you feel like in any way it made you mature quicker, which which was uh, enabled you to handle the pressure of moving up the grades better? Um, oh, yeah, I dare say so. Like um, you had you had to sit around even when we were 12, um, at the end of the game would go and have a drink with the opposition. Um, we would only be having a Coke. <laughs> Um, everyone else would be having beers and everything, but you'd sit there. You wouldn't say much, but you'd when you spoke to you, you'd you'd answer back or, or, or listen. Um, so I feel like part of that, you you a lot of ninety percent of talk at the those things are rubbish, but a lot of banter. But there, you you do get that ten percent of gold, and um, I feel like you do get the chance to to grow up and mature and. Um, by hanging around older people and, and understanding what they do and watching the way they prepare. And that, that's gone from playing against Dean Schofield back in Young to watching the way Mike Hussey prepared, trained, what, what he did, what, what, was, what I wasn't doing mm. and to how, how can I become better. And, again, that's another, another great benefit of Goaded, like actually seeing that. Never before, obviously, with – social media and the technology we have now, would you ha- have the ability to have that access? So like just seeing the way, and, and for me, obviously, you know, I'm most known for business, but every entrepreneur, we had someone on podcast yesterday who had been CEO of companies doing hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And he brought it back to the same thing. The mindset is the core foundation of success in any field. Would you agree that the mindset that you've built over the years going up was was such a key foundation to everything else that you've been able to achieve on top of that? Yeah, yeah, 100%. But also for me, understanding that if you do the hard work, don't be surprised by having success. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of hard work that goes in behind the scenes of it and if you jump on Goated, you'll see the work that goes be, go behind the scenes that a lot of players will, will do and um, and and if you want to be the best in the business, I feel like you've got to do it. There's, there's a certain level of where skill will take you to. But if you want to go, in my opinion, if you want to go to the next level, you need the determination. You need to do the hard work. And when you get the reward, don't be surprised. So those, before you, before you came 
um, into the into the like Australian Test team and obviously the, the Shield team. You 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 famous obviously with groundskeeper Monica Oval and Adelaide Oval, but you never obviously gave up at all in terms of making it happen. But what was your thought process going through that and then taking the job, like getting the trade, do, taking the job as a groundskeeper? Was there ever any doubt or were you always just so laser focused on the path and you knew if I, I could do this, I'll put myself in the right situations, in the right environments to continue to capitalise and, and move forward? No, there was always doubt, always doubt. I think there's, I think you, I think a lot of people have doubt and it's whether people were happy to admit it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a lot of doubt even when I was working at Monica when I moved to Adelaide and, okay, you're one step closer, but she's still a long way away. Mm. Um, but the beauty about cricket and and what I love about cricket is that you're only three fifers, three hundreds away from the next level. Now, the moment, obviously, you've 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 I've, he- I've heard you spoke about it before. But what was the moment like when you when you when you got the call that you were going to make your debut and you called called your parents and let them know? <laughs> um, yeah, so I was in Sri Lanka at the time. Um, obviously, on my first Australian tour, it was all pretty good. And when I first found out that I was going going to Sri Lanka on my first tour, I called Dad and I said, "Dad, I'm going. I'm on the being picked on the Test tour." And he goes. Oh, that's good. You'll get the tracksuit, <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. I'll, I'll get the tracks, and I won't take it off. But, so, but then I got to Sri Lanka, played a tour game, went okay. Took one or two, three, maybe three wickets. Nothing outstanding. Um, and just trained with Ricky Ponning and uh, or, uh, with the team and bowled to Ricky Ponning uh, pretty well a whole net session before the first Test match and. Ricky Ponning was the one that went to Michael Clark and Greg Chappell at the time said, you've got to pick this kid. So I owe a lot to, to Punner um, for that opportunity. But when I got told I was getting making my debut, I obviously got back to the hotel and um, called Dad straight away. And Dad was working out the back of Tamora, um, which is about, I don't know, four, close to five hours southwest of Sydney, I guess. And I said, Dad, I'm playing. And dad just goes, oh, that's good. At least you'll play one game and hung up. I was like, what? I tried to understand what he was doing. But I've since figured out and found out that he was too emotional, didn't know what to say, didn't want, didn't want to make me even more nervous. Mm-hmm. So I was already shitting myself, to be honest. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty unique and pretty cool story there. <laughs> All right, guys, just quickly, I've got some news. I've spent close to the past 18 months building the ultimate program that takes you through the complete process, and I mean the complete process of launching and scaling your very own e-commerce brand from zero all the way up to a million dollars plus per year. And now with this program, what you're going to get access to is 15 modules with over 100 training videos and 23 hours of in-depth content, taking you through everything you need to know to build a successful e-com brand. And this is the important part. This isn't just stuff that you can look up on YouTube. This is stuff I've taken from real lessons and experiences building Happy Skin Co. from zero all the way up to an eight-figure-per-year brand. You're going to get access to loads of custom tools, templates, and calculators that I've used to build and run Happy Skin Co. There's going to be one-on-one mentoring with myself and other expert coaches, and there's also weekly group Q&A calls with myself to make sure you're feeling completely supported throughout the entire process. And now what I've learned from consulting to everyone from people starting their very first e-commerce brand 
all the way up to brands already doing seven figures plus per year is that there's a process and a framework to follow if you want to be successful with e-com. Now, if this is something you're interested in, hit the link below and go to join.viralbrandbuilder.com. All the information's there and you can book a call directly with me. Otherwise, send me a DM and we can chat there. Anyway, let's get back to the pod. The endorsement doesn't get much bigger than Ricky Ponting, arguably the, the greatest Australian cricketer to ever play. Um, and then you go, you, you make your debut, as I, as I said in the, in the intro, wicket first ball. What's going, back, what's going through your head? You take the wicket. After all this work, and like, like I said, you, you didn't go the short way. You went the hard way. You had to really fight for and work for everything you got. First ball, wicket. Um, yeah, all, all I remember at the moment of it is that um, we batted day one, day two come along. Wasn't feeling the greatest, um, just with the food and stuff over there. Were pretty, I was pretty crook actually, but um, I was feeling down at fine leg, had a drinks break, then Mock Clark just tapped me on the shoulder and said, ready to go, youngster. I said, yep, let's go. And uh, so I was extremely nervous and Ricky Pony actually come over and said, um, you're, you're right, mate, just back your skill. Back your skill and tapped me on the arse and went and then Huss ran up from mid on. I was like, just smile, mate. Just smile. <laughs> when you smile, you you'll relax and you'll go into it. So they they were probably there, and they're the two biggest things that biggest advice that I'd keep running with today is that um, yeah, back your skill and, and smile, and you relax and go and do it. But yeah, the first ball, I felt like I was actually real wide. I thought he was going to hit it for four, and thought shit, this is going to be a bad start. But lucky enough that Pup took a decent catch. Yeah, and then. You go back to your mark, you know, for, you got a wicket first ball of your test test career. Are you able to calm down and, and recenter as, as well as you would have liked? Or are you still like the adrenaline in your body? Oh, no. It, everything was going rapid. I can't even remember the rest of the over, to be honest with you. Um, who was the batter? I think it was Mahala J. Wardner come out. Um, or he may have been not, not strong. I can't remember a bowl to. And then five wickets, five for in the first innings. You must be thinking this, this stuff's too easy. No, <laughs> no, definitely. I think that was my about my second or third ever fifer. So like I haven't taken a lot of them. Um, took a lot of fourfers in grade cricket and um, all that, but not many five five wicket hauls. Um, so to to take five wickets um, on my first test match was yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing. I've got the, the ball up on the wall at home, which I walk past every day, which is pretty cool. First Fifer in the first game. Now I think it's 23 Fifers in Test cricket. Four, as I said, four wickets away from 500. Do you – I know what professional athletes are like, one one ball at a time, one wicket at a time, but do you have one eye on that Pakistan series coming up soon or, or do you really just try and stay grounded in the moment <clears> and take each ball as it comes? No, no, bloody oath. I've got um, probably – one and a half eyes on it, if I'm honest. <laughs> if I'm honest. Like you know, after doing my calf in uh, the ashes, being out for 14 and a half weeks and coming back and playing one one-day game and two shield games, it's it's unbelievable being back. But I want to play that. I want to play that level again. I want to play test cricket again. Um, sitting at home watching the end of the ashes really sucked, to be honest with you. And then I was at home and I watched the AFL grand final watched Collingwood win, watched Penrith Panthers win, um, and I was like, nah, I want that. I still, that for me, that's a drug, and that that adrenaline is, is what you play for in the big moments. 
Was that calf tear again, massive calf tear, four centimeters, grade three. You don't usually see people tear a calf and be out for over three months. That's definitely on, on the, on the severe end. Was that one of the most challenging periods in your career mentally in terms of emotions? Obviously you're there, there's still, still two and a half games left. I believe something like that in the ashes. You then have to fly home. Is it anger, sadness, frustration? Obviously the motivation came after recollecting yourself, but what's the emotion when you get back home, you're with Emma, the kids? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was no good. Um, I was probably in the darkest time, definitely darkest time in my career. I've never been injured before. So touch wood, that doesn't happen again. But, um, yeah, I was not a very good person to be around. Uh, I'm very lucky. I've got a very supportive, supportive and loving wife and, um, and, and the whole family. But what I blew, blew my calf in the second test, flew home about, Three days later, after that second test, and the guys were playing three more test matches, and I wasn't very enjoyable to be around at all. Um, and that's because probably the way I see it is that I I generally care about that Australian cricket team. I care about the people in it. I care care about our performance. And and for me, this will come across arrogant, but for me, I felt like I could play a decent role in that team, and I know I could play a role against that batting lineup. Um, and for me to be sitting at home on crutches, icing my leg every every half an hour, um, and going getting up and doing rehab every day for the rest of that tour, but for the rest of 10, 10 12 weeks, it was it was pretty challenging. Speaking of the resilience, I think a lot of Australia was surprised when I don't know a day or two later you ho- literally hobbled out to bat. Was it was it an option for you not to bat, or in your head you're always going to do whatever you can on one leg just to help the team? No, it was never an option for me not to bat in my head. Um, <clears throat> even though <laughs> at our hotel I had a little step, it would have been about ten centimeters high, and I couldn't get into the shower. So Emma, my wife, had to help me in the shower, then um, and help me out. So like she was literally helping. Me and I said to her the morning of day four that was, and I said, "Em, just so you know, I'm going to." Go out the bat, and she goes, "You're an idiot. <laughs> I can't even walk. I'm helping you in in a shower, and you want to go out the bat." She goes, "Nah, you're going out the. Uh, you're not going out the bat." And I said, "I'm going out the bat anyway." So I jumped on the bus, didn't say anything to anyone, and got got there. And I said to Pat, our captain, was on the physio bench with the doctor and um, physio at the time, and I walked hobbled over on my crutches and said, um, "Pat, I'm on a bat." She goes, "You're an idiot." You're not batting, Gary, get it out of your head. And the physio and doctor both looked at me and like laughed. The thing was like, not batting. So I just went straight to Andrew McDonald and said, mate, I want a bat. I want a bat. And he goes, good, yeah. I want you to bat. So he, I said, you need to go talk to the doctor So and the physio. So he went over there and they laughed, quickly turned to, oh, shit, this is actually happening. And so I took a heap of drugs. Yeah. Um, walked into the physio room in the back of Lords and had to practice batting. Had to show them that old what my plan would be and got tape from my knee down to my toes and couldn't move a foot and yeah. But that's for me. That is exactly like someone cutting their finger and going to work. Like okay, shit happens, but you still got to play your role. You got to do. You can't do your complete role, but you can still help out your teammates and. Understanding that a ten to fifteen run partnership can be massive in ashes. Mm. And part of that mentality, along with 
you just being a, a, an all around good bloke from, from the outside looking in anyway, would have been part of a big part of why Mike Hussey gave you the, the honor of being the leader of the team song. Where does that rank in terms of your career in proudest moments? Uh, yeah, it's probably, yeah, it's definitely up there as the proudest moment um, to get that handed to you. And um, that really sings, I know that you're doing playing the game for the right reasons. Um, and I've always wanted to play the game for the right reasons. Um, so when Huss handed that in January 2013, um, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty special moment. I remember going to Huss's room in Melbourne after the Boxing Day Test match and he called me up and he said, oh, I'm come to my room, I've got something to talk to you about. And I thought, shit, okay, what's happening? Walked in there, handed me a piece of paper and said, I'm retiring, I want you to take over the team song. So I spent the next half an hour trying to convince him not, <laughs> not to retire, but um, then when it was all settled and all that stuff and I knew that I couldn't change it, it was pretty pretty amazing, but it took me a long time to sing it. It took me nine test matches to sing yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, forgot, I, I didn't realise that in, until I was um, doing a little bit of research. And you finally get your first win, nine, nine games in, singing that team song, how sweet is it? Yeah, well, it's a little bit different now. So the rules are um, that yeah, I can sing it when and whenever I want. So if, if we win the test at 12 o'clock and midday, I don't need to sing it until 7 o'clock at night <laughs> if, if I want or whenever it is. My first song was at the Gabra in the Ashes and um, we won the test and walked in and sang it straight away because I was so nervous. <laughs> I was nervous because I grew up with having Michael Clark. Um, Brad Haddon on my wall at home, big potent pictures at the wall, and suddenly I'm in the middle of the circle leading their team song. Um, so I was just like, shit, can't stuff this up, can't stuff this up whatsoever. So, um, yeah, it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing moment when you look back at it. Now, in in terms of your career, like you've, you've had a lot of highs. Um, in terms of the on-field battles, is there anyone that comes comes to mind as like, one of the one of the toughest battles or, or greatest on field rivals. Do you, do you do you reflect on those sorts of moments and think, wow, that was actually pretty special? Um, I think I'll reflect on more of that when uh, when I'm done. Um, but that's a number of years away now. But when you look at playing against the likes of AB de Villiers and Virat Kohli and Kevin Peterson and oh, sit here all day and talk and talk about them and rattle them all off. But when I look back and you go, I was lucky enough to play against. Tendulkar, Palace, Graham Smith, all these guys, you go, shit, you're actually competing against the best players to ever play the game. So there's been some good challenges. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Now, challenges, one challenge that I feel like would have been a massive part of particularly your early career is any spin bowler in Australia is forever going to be compared to to Shane Warne, right? The, the greatest to ever do it. Do you feel like it? it helped, it made it a little bit easier being an off spinner and not a leg spinner or did you feel like it made it more difficult because everyone's like, oh, when's our next leg spinner coming along? No, yes, yeah, so much more difficult. Even even, even now, he's still part of you, still I've taken 496 test wickets and still part of me feels like still living under Shane Warne's shadow, which is, and I'm totally fine about that, which at the start was, I found it extremely difficult because I felt like, Every test match I play, went to everyone would be looking for the next leg spinner. Mm. Uh, okay, yeah, line's okay, but we need another leg spinner. So I found that very difficult 
like every Gabba test would go to would be like a play four quicks and leave the spinner out where arguably it's one of my favourite places to bowl type thing. So I did find it pretty difficult at the start living in Shane Warne's shadow. Um, and, but for me, I looked at it as a challenge that, okay, I get the chance to prove 99% of the public wrong. Well, I'd say you've definitely established your own legacy apart, like very much separate from, from Shane Warne, but where in your career, obviously the greatest off spinner to ever do it, just shy of 500 wickets. At what point did that noise settle down? Obviously you went on to play a hundred, a hundred tests in a row, which I, which I believe is a record. What part of your career, if you remember, did that chat settle down? And it's just like, this is our guy now, everyone's behind him. And now obviously one of the, one of the, Obviously, you won't like to admit it, but like one of the most loved Australian cricketers. Uh, I'm not sure when it settled down, to be honest with you. I tried to, early on in my career, I worried about what everyone was saying in the media and everything like that. So it wasn't until about uh, what, probably around 2015, 16, I was like, nah, don't worry about it. You've had too many years of worrying about this crap. Just let's worry about what you control and what you control is buying your best off break. Um, so that that's probably when when that really turned around, and I was really just focused on, I don't know, trying to become a better person and better creator each day. Was there any pieces of of advice from any of the senior players that you remember them passing on to you in your in your in your first couple of years of cricket that really stuck with you and helped you understand you know how to deal with certain elements of the game? Um, there's three things that stand out to me. It was obviously Ricky Ponting saying back your skill. Mike Hussey saying, um, do it with a smile on your face. And, and the third one was actually Shane Watson. He captained the game in Delhi in 2013, I think it was, and um, he came up to me and he said, guys, you need to roll your sleeves up and get in a contest, get in a fight. And for me, that that's a big sign. So you might see me uh, when I'm at the top of mark, I, might, I wear long sleeves every day, but you might see me pull my sleeves up a little bit. And for me, that's just a – Reminder saying, roll your sleeves up, get in a fight. And that does, doesn't doesn't mean you have to be verbal and, and get into someone. Uh, it's about making sure that your presence is here and that this is real and we're doing it. Getting into the fight again, like I can't imagine what it's like to play cricket for like all day for five days back to back. Like we play, obviously I play park cricket with Mitch who, who, who you know really well and like we'll play like Saturday, Sunday for like the finals and I'm ruined. That mentality to stay in the game and concentrate every single ball you're out there would be exhausting. How much work do you do with the sports psych in terms of mentally being ready, prepared, concentrate, focus at all moments? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it's a long time out there, but you're only really focusing for about three seconds. And you the ability to be able to switch off and and go, okay, yep, I can look in the crowd, see who's in the crowd, look at the bird flying around, whatever it may be, have banter with your teammates. But when the ball is at the top of your mark, you switch on, whether it's in your bat in hand, whether it's in your ball in hand, whether you're in the field. So the ability to be able to switch on and off is the biggest key. So I've done a lot of work with Michael Lloyd. Yet again, you can jump on and go to it and see our conversations and there's going to be more of that coming. Um, but it's, I don't know, I feel like being able to talk to someone and understand and, Get everything out. It's been very, very beneficial for me. Now, I want to speak to you more about mindset. Obviously, we're just talking about the sports psych. I know mindset preparation. 
doing all that sort of work is, is, is a big part of being a professional athlete. It's a big part of your career. Now, visualization for me with goals and business has been a big part of my process. I like to ask a lot of people as visualization played a part in, 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 in your career, in your journey, either being at the top of your mark, visualizing what you're going to do or zooming out, being this kid from young, visualizing yourself one day, pulling on the baggy green. Do you use visualization at all? Or is that something that you personally haven't got too deep into? No, I think I've, I think I did it before I even knew I was doing it. I, I dreamt of playing cricket for Australia, but I, I, I do it when I'm standing at the top of my mark. Honestly, I've got a blueprint that I go through and I, I stand there and go, okay, well, how am I going to get this guy out and what's that look like? Um, so, yeah, I use use that skill probably a lot more than I actually realise, but I feel like it's a good, unbelievable skill to have and if you're able to do it, and believe in it, then I feel like it's only going to help you go f- even further. And dealing with the pressure, whether that be from yourself, from from the fear of letting your teammates down, from the media backlash, if you know whatever goes wrong. Over the years, how have you become better at dealing with the pressure, quieting down the noise, and just focusing on what you can control? Uh, yeah, it's 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 another thing. Being journey, uh, it's a journey that you go on trying to understand what the pressure looks like, who's the pressure coming from. But then when, as soon as you start to realise that no one puts any more pressure on them than what you do yourself, um, and, and then you just break that down, okay, what's the pressure look like? Okay, what's my role look like within that pressure and how am I meant to cope with that pressure? Um, for me, it's understanding your role, then having your belief in whatever method needs to be done on that special day to, to ensure that, you're playing your role to your best ability. If you do that, you'll cope with the pressure and then you'll get your rewards, but then we're not surprised by success. On the challenges that you've had to overcome in your career, what stands out to you as, as, as the biggest? Oh, <clears throat> oh, there's a few, but one jumps out is probably when Husey got hit and, and died. Um, and passed away. That that was probably the arguably the biggest challenge because there was a period there, for a bit where we were meant to be playing a test match a couple of days later, um, and honestly, Darren Lehman didn't know if any of us players were able to take the field, and so that was probably the biggest challenge that I've probably been through. One of the most memorable moments winning that game, everyone running over to the to the four oh eight, was the team. Did you guys really come together to support each other through that moment? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that wasn't planned or anything. That that just happened as well. That was probably quite bizarre um, how, how it all happened. And even that whole game, you you look at look at the results in that game. All the New South Wales guys did extremely well um, and were able to win that, win that test match. And I don't know. I don't know what it is or... I think about it, it was it was a challenging day, challenging, challenging um, time in it throughout our whole career. To be honest with you, it, we're living with it every day, um, but it's one of these things that accidents do happen, and got to live with live with it now. Exactly, and and that that day changed the shape of cricket for, forever, and 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 brought awareness to things that maybe had been ignored and forgotten before. So. I just remember the whole country was were brought together after that moment and seeing seeing how you guys came together and made the country proud. I think 
increase the connection the whole country has to the Australian cricket team, which at times has been extremely, extremely positive. At times it's been a little bit more negative. And there's one, one interview I was listening that you did and, and something stood out now was after the whole drama in South, South Africa, how Tim Payne brought the team together. You speak about how his leadership in, in those weeks and months and, and even years following was some of the best leadership and captaincy you've ever seen. And the, and the one thing that I thought was really fucking cool was you, you came together and your whole goal was to make Australia proud of the, the, the men's cricket team again. What was the steps to doing that? And then I want to know, when do you guys, like as a collective, did you realize we've, we've achieved that when, and, and we've got back to where we should be, not just in terms of performances and wins, but playing in the right spirit of game mentality and, and, and doing it in, like, like Cassie said to you, playing cricket in the right way. Um, yeah, obviously that was a pretty challenging part, but I think Payne and credit to JL as well, the way they really guided us through a pretty dark cloud and actually able to uh, to see the light at the end of the tunnel type thing. But I think the way that Payne was able to just, I oh know, be able to make sure that everyone was okay um, and that was the biggest thing for me. He He showed a lot of care about it and... Uh, I've said a number of times I think Payne's been the best captain I've played under um, and that's purely because um, he knew he wasn't the number one player in the team. He knew he wasn't the number player, number one player in the world, but he knew how to get the team up and about and where, where it wanted to go. And where did we think? I think the, the Ashes in, when was that? Must have been 2000. At home, um, I forget what ashes it was, but yeah, I think there was an ashes at home where we rocked up and we're like, nah, Australian fans are they're here and they've always been there. Um, yes, we've gone through a challenging time and stuff, but they're a pretty amazing crowd to play in front of. Um, even when you look at the recent tour to England, like they're they're pure excitement of those guys when we guys and girls when we go over there and play in the ashes and they're in the yellow or green shirts in, in the crowd it's pretty pretty amazing to see the the effect that we have as Australian cricket team and I probably didn't didn't see that until I actually came home from from the ashes and I was hobbling down the street on my crutches or or limping away or whatever I was doing and the amount of people come up and tap you on the back and tell you how sorry they were about your calf or whatnot but also just say how incredible wins that we had at that time and um, how much they were invested in the Ashes. You go, well, shit, okay. This is a lot bigger than what you think it is. From from your, your playing career, what, what do you think you're, you're most proud of? Like it's, it's, it's awesome having people come up to you and say those things, but is there any moment that you just think, I'm, I'm so glad I was a part of that? Yeah, it's actually Edge Baston when Pat and I were on 55 runs for that last last. Um, uh, to win that game, um, I know for me, I'm expected to win games with with, with the ball in hand. Um, yes, I'm expected to win games with the bat in hand as well. But 55 runs, I'm expected to win if the, if we need two 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 runs to win. But 55 runs, I dare say, a lot of people in in Australia and in England would have thought that Australia were going to lose that Test match. So. That's probably one of my proudest moments. So I reckon that will go down as probably one of my biggest biggest moments in my career. You, you do a lot of batting um, work with your brother. Did he uh, secretly take any credit for for that performance between brothers? 
Oh, I reckon he went to the pub and had a few, <laughs> had, had a few beers off the back of it. But, um, yeah, no, I do do a lot of work with him. But, yeah, it's, my phone lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, I can night. imagine. Speaking a little bit of a, a random aside, but speaking of incredible batting performances, what were you thinking the other night watching Glenn Maxwell absolutely put the country on his back and, and Paddy Cummins just surviving there? Wasn't that like one of the most crazy innings you've ever seen, regardless of T20 one day test? Yeah, it's incredible. Incredible. Um, yeah, it's the best innings we've ever seen. But then on my bowl, my bowling brain hit switches. I'm like, well, why wouldn't they have done this? Why wouldn't they have done that? Why but you got to give credit where credit's due and Maxi, There's hand-eye coordination there is unbelievable, but also that what people aren't really talking about is the speed of his hands and not many people talk about that. I'm a big one for it. I think the best batters in the world have got unbelievable speed of hands on their batting. And what do you think it is about, what do you think it is about the Australian cricket team that, when big tournaments roll around so often they just get up. Like going into it and obviously early on in, in the World Cup, probably weren't playing our best cricket. A lot of people were riding Australia off saying they probably won't even make finals two, three games in. And then something just happened, hit a switch, and now very likely to to, to go all the way to the final potentially. Obviously I, I, I'm a big believer that it's probably going to be Australia and India and then to beat India you're going to have to be really good. But what is it about the Australian cricket team that can just bring it all together when it counts? Oh, there's some superstars in the team which helps, but there's a lot of belief in there as well. Like they've all done it before. They know how to win games of cricket. And I generally think Australia will win the World Cup. And I'm not just saying that because I play cricket for Australia, I'm employed by them, but I genuinely think they will because you look at it, all the big guns haven't really fired. Like the bowlers haven't had a day out yet. I'm waiting for the day that Camo and Starkey and Hazelwood, especially the big three, or click together, and as soon as they click, they'll destroy a team. But then you've got Smithy, who hasn't fired. You've got, yes, you've got Davis and, uh, Davey and Traven, um, Maxi and Marshy all, all hit unbelievable hundreds. But you wait till the Australian clicks, and no one will come close to them. Especially, like you said, like one of our, we've always had some superstar freak batters in the team at all times, but our strength really is our bowling lineup. And like you said, the bowlers, probably haven't, not necessarily haven't been at their best, but they haven't won us a game yet. So very much there's a potential for that arc to be to come through. Now, seeing seeing young Adam Zampa doing what he's doing, does that make you proud to see an Aussie spinner performing so consistently well? Yeah, and Zamps has been um, arguably one of the best white ball bowlers in, in the world. I'd say for, for sure, I'd agree. For a number of years now, and that's what I mean. Like the, the four of them with, with Zamps and the three big quicks, that's what I mean. If, if they click. They will destroy a team very quickly. And, and that's what I'm probably really excited about heading into the last game against Bangladesh on Saturday, I think it is. And, and the following Thursday is, a, is the um, semi final against South Africa. And I, I feel like, I honestly feel like it'll be an India Australia final because I feel like South Africa will choke in the, in the semis. They've got history of it. Um, so I'm, I'm back in Australia all the way. I'm with you now. Speaking of South Africa, being night watchman facing Mornay Morkel, does it get much worse than that? <laughs> Have you been talking to Mitch? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it doesn't get any much worse than that. Um, he had polite words when, when I went, walked out the bat. He was going to come around the wicket and kill me. Um, and at that stage back in 2014, I didn't know how to bat and didn't know 
how to face 145k bumpers straight at your head. Yeah, around the wicket. So yeah, it was probably up there as uh, one of the most challenging moments with bat in hand. That's for sure. What's what's the what's it being? Uh, what's it like having the night watchman role? Like it's the last place anyone ever wants to go in about 15, 20 minutes left. Light's not very good. Do you do you do it because, as you said, like you've probably got one of the best defenses for 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 the bowlers, or do you just do it like fuck it? I'm gonna try and enjoy this as much as I can. No, I do it because I get asked. <laughs> um, my thoughts are not watchmen's. Um, well, you only only do it when the batters get scared. That's 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 what the people don't realise. Everyone goes, oh yeah, but these guys are the best batters in the world. Well, they can bat for 10 minutes. They bat for a day and a half sometimes, so, so they get scared. Who's, but, the, who's the biggest uh, culprit of sending you in before them? Go protect me, Nath. Uh, I've probably done it the most for Smithy, um, but Marnus, Marnus likes one now. <laughs> um, uh, who else? I've done, it, I've done it for a fair few, to be honest. I think I've batted from three to only position I haven't batted is one, two, and eight, I think. To be fair, Steve Smith, pretty big wicket to protect, but you say Marnus likes more now. Is it something when a young batter comes in, they've got to earn the right for a night watchman before no. they can call people up, or is it? No, it's usually the other way around. You, you, you senior players, you've got to protect them. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Marnus and Smithy, they're peas in a pot, aren't they? But um, they're, they're doing a decent job, and they, hopefully they do it a few more times as well. Now, we'll start to wrap up. I want to ask you a couple of questions before, before I get on to the future and what's next for you. Um, couple, couple last questions I wanted to ask you one, a, a pretty special moment. I imagine not in your career, but just your life in a whole, I think it might've been after your second test, you were having a, you were having beers with Ricky Ponting, a couple of the other boys. And, and that one yeah, of them says, go, go, go grab your dad. And you're like, no, no, he's all good. He, he doesn't really drink. And then the old man comes down, has about five, six beers. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I was in candy second test, mum and dad come over, um, their first test watching me live and. Uh, the game headed out to be a draw with uh, weather affected. Um, and anyway, we were sitting at a hotel bar and I was just sitting there with Hads and oh, everyone was there. I was, I was sitting with Hads, Hussey and Ponting and um, Brad Haddon just tapped me on the leg and said, uh, where's your dad? I said, oh, dad's up in the room. Go get him. Oh, no, dad doesn't, <laughs> dad doesn't drink. Dad might have one beer at Christmas and that that's it for the year type thing. And he goes, no, bullshit, go get him. So I went up there and... Went up there, knocked on the door, and I said, uh, "Dad, the boys want you down." He goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, reponning and Brad Haddon have asked for you to come down." So, Dad jumped up, up probably the quickest I've seen him move, <laughs> and I said, "Sorry, Mum, you've got to stay here." But then he knocked back about five, six coronas before before I even seen it. So it was probably one of the best moments seeing Dad sit there with those guys and just have a chat. And what's your relationship like with your dad? Is he like a more stoic, old school country bloke or has he had a few moments where like you have the quiet moments? He's like, no, Nath, like I'm really proud of everything you've done. No, no, he's old school. Yeah. Old, old, old school farmer. Um, No doubt, no doubt there'll be a time where where that comes and um, we'll have that conversation, but dad just keeps asking me if I'm enjoying it. Do enjoy it. Good luck. Now, moving on to the future. As as you've said, you've still got many years to come playing the game. How do you how do you set your goals for the next chapter of your career? What's your process like with goal setting, and how important is that for you to go to go and put that planning and and, and put those goals down before you put the work in and go and action them? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel like the the injury is come at a, a nice time if there's going to be with me being able to be at home and reflect and reset some goals. Um, so I know for me, I want to. I know I can play a massive role in the Australian cricket team, and I've always said I wanted to win in India and England, and haven't been able to do that. And we've got a big test series, obviously against Pakistan, West Indies, and New Zealand this summer. But then following summer, we've got India out here. Which is which is also massive. So and we, they've beaten us last two times out here. So we we really need to ensure that we get that one back. But for me, goal setting is, is making sure that you go out there and you, you want to achieve, try and achieve what you what you can do. Like there's, I always try and set my goals quite high. Um, are they reachable? There's question marks on that, but. I get pretty close to them, I'll be pretty happy. And if I get if I reach them, I'll be very happy. But um, for me, I'm not going to put a number. I've got a number in my head of where I want to get to, but I'll never say it publicly. Um, but yeah, I just I love the game. And when, as I said before, when I see the guys play the the league in the AFL Grand Finals and see the adrenaline and see the guys stand up in the big moments, whether it's Cleary or whoever it may be, um, I just sit at home and add goosebumps and. Said to Emma, I said, no, nah, I'm no nowhere, way. nowhere close to being done. And and what's it like? Obviously, you've 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 been a mainstay in the team for for a long time now. Transitioning from being the young up and comer to the one of the old experienced Ted. Now you're now the one in in a, in, a, in a leadership role, providing guidance and, and stability, and and potentially even advice for the younger guys coming through. Is that something a, a role you relish, or do you like to lead more by your actions than your words? I think there's a bit of both. And I think it's incredibly important that you're able to do both. Um, but, yeah, I, I enjoy it now. When I first come into the team, I had, you know, I had Rick and Ponning. I had Mike Hussey and these guys, but then they, they both retired in 2012, 2013, so I didn't have a great deal with them. But now I feel like I've got a decent role to do with Todd Murphy, Matt Kuhneman, Mitch Swips and Tanvir Sanger, these guys who are who are coming through um, – the, the Australian setup and, and spinning it around the around the country because with Warney passing away last year, um, it feels like I've got even more responsibility responsibility to to fly the flag for for Australian spin bowling. Yeah, massively. And is following in in in? Do you have any interest to follow in Warney's footsteps in terms of off the field, in terms of commentary oh, and off presenting? The field, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep it. To, we'll keep it to 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 the media side. Like obviously, you don't have to do that. You give it. You're giving us an hour of your time. You, you don't have to do any of this stuff. But you just seem like you love the game so much, and 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 you're so connected to the game. Post playing career is is. Do you still want to stay around cricket? Obviously, you've. I've heard. I've heard the business idea. Nice Gary's Gardens as a, as as an option, yeah. but. Is is the media anything that you'd want to do down the line? Uh, yeah, well, I've been doing a little bit of work with Fox at the moment throughout the World Cup and every opportunity I can get um, around Australian one-day games, T20 games. Um, I feel like it's something that I enjoy doing because I'm able to, the way I approach it is that I can paint a picture in my head and try and tell the world or tell the listener who may not see the game the way I do or New, new, new to cricket, and if I can help them un- understand what the guys are trying to do, what they're trying to achieve, my experiences, my thoughts, and then why not? But also, I feel like there's a hopefully a role for me to. 
I know be a, a spin consultant around the, around Australia because there's some really good coaches out there, um, and I'd like to be a, a, a someone who can go around to and help all spinners, um, boys and girls, um, at all, all different ages. I, I'd love nothing more than that because something that I I have I've had a personal spin coach in John Davison, but um, at South Australia I had Darren Berry. Um, he was a head coach, but I feel like. New South Wales haven't really had too many, but it's something that there's a big gap there for, for me, I think. And did you have a player or a role model that you looked up to when you were coming through the, the ranks as a youngster? Oh, Warney. Yeah. Warney and Adam Kilchrist were the two two players for me. And that's where, as I said before, goaded. That's where if I had access to Shane Warne at age of 12, 13, 14, mum and dad, being a country kid, not having much, definitely no money in the family or anything like that. And, um, they would have done anything to to give us that opportunity. Yeah, and with Goated, what's the vision? How how long? Like, I know you've you've got Teddy coming on board, who who will hopefully be dropping all of his content and all that access early next year. But what's what's the vision with Goated? How far do you want to take this? Uh, I, I want to see it go everywhere. To be honest with you, um, I'm pretty proud about it. I know I'm really proud about it. I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. But I feel like it's for, it's for any athlete who actually wants to give back to the game. That's given them everything. Um, and I feel like as an athlete, you need to want to do that. You, it's, you can't just, go, oh, yeah, no, I want to do it, but not actually want to do it type things. So for me, I'm all about giving back. And if and talking to Kaya and James, they see something very similar, obviously, with Kaya with her Indigenous background. But then James is a country kid as well, and he, he knows the importance and, and the roles that he plays as as role models around, around, especially around Australia. Um, but, yeah, I'd love nothing more to see him crack it and go worldwide and the sky's the limit for it. I, I personally love the initiative. I think more athletes should be doing things like that. It's just it's an amazing world we live in that there is the technology that can facilitate that. And if there are more athletes that are keen to come on board, I think it's just going to impact kids around the world in such a positive way. And as we know, if we look at look at the world compared to when when we were growing up, like, We'd get home from school every day. I'd be out on my bikes, riding down to my friend's house, kicking a footy around at the park, playing street cricket. Now, the the numbers in, in grassroots cricket are definitely not what they used to be. I used to play for a team called Liverpool Catholic Club, um, and there was two, three um, teams in every age group. Now, a couple of years, a couple of years ago, we had to fold the club because there was just no kids playing. So, anything that can encourage kids to get out, get active, play sport, particularly the sport we love, cricket, I think is I think is awesome. So. Something a little bit that might have come a little bit more left field than even goaded is is Nathan Lyon, the author. Now, <laughs> what was uh, obviously you've got you've got a, a couple of kids yourself. What was the inspiration for the 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 nice Gary children book series? Um, yeah, yeah. So basically, it was because of my two two older daughters who who spend a lot of time on um, iPads and computers and all that stuff now, and I wanted to find a way to to get them to read books and. Um, and I get them off there and try and try and do something, but also, obviously, in the current part of writing an autobiography as well. Um, so that's a that's a new journey, and part of it was to do a couple of kids' books. Um, so I think we're in the process of hopefully doing a kids' book with Braille. So obviously, I do a lot of work with the um, inclusion stuff with Cricket Australia, Cricket Australia with all the disabilities, so blind, deaf, and uh, intellectual. So Hopefully, doing a, um, a vision impaired book, which will be pretty cool. But hopefully, um, 
the kids can go out there and enjoy enjoy reading it and there's hopefully there's a little key message, isn't it? Yeah. Now, three last questions and we'll, and we'll wrap this up, send you on your way. As someone that, as, as, we, as we briefly discussed, you, you got your trade, you're very passionate about landscaping and groundskeeping and all that sort of stuff. Let's stay outside of Australia. What would be your favourite ground to play on? <laughs> we going wicket wise or we going venue? We'll go wicket wise. Uh, oh, anywhere in India is good fun, usually. especially for a spinner, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good challenge, but I don't know it's hard to go past like somewhere like Lords or Cape Town. And do you have a favourite in Australia? Adelaide Oval. Adelaide Oval. You, you, you I would, I, I, I thought that might be the answer. I was hoping it was the SCG, um, but very disappointed when I heard the news that you're leaving the Sixes. I. Shouted, I said, Mitch, tell me this ain't true. Tell me it ain't true. He's like, man, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, it's true. I remember Mitch used to be a Sydney Thunder fan and I said, Mitch, you can't do this, mate. And then once he started doing like the videographer stuff for, for them, slowly I was in his ear and his ear converted him and now you're, you're sadly gone. But it seems like Renegades have a pretty good team, some, some big names, the old boys back together. So good luck for that, um, even though I'm, I'm a Sixers boy through and through. Now, second last question. Um, Obviously, the the quality of the chat, as you can imagine, the banter playing park cricket um, on the weekends is is horrendous. Any is there anything that stands out as a piece of chat that's just so memorable from from your playing career that is repeatable on a podcast? Was there a sledge? Was there a joke? Was there a line that you just thought that's fucking top shelf or that that made me laugh? Oh, <laughs> I've got no idea. <laughs> Played a lot of cricket. Um. No, I got nothing. I, the one one moment that stands out was David Warner playing in his would have been about my ninth or tenth test match, and he was playing his about. So he would have played been playing his third test match. He started sledging Sachin Tendulkar, <laughs> and I was just like, just, "Do you know who this bloke is?" <laughs> yeah. And David was at point sledging him. So I was just like, "That's probably the best moment." Yeah, would you when do you remember when the first time the nice Gary came out in 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 a test was it was it was it Hads? No, no, or was it, it was Wade. It was Matt Wade yeah, in Wade. Um, Adelaide. Must have been two thousand sixteen. Um, Adelaide pink ball test, and he just kept saying it, kept saying it, and we didn't think any of it. But then social media got a hold of it, and suddenly we we're trying to do a world record attempt against Pakistan at the MCG. So. <laughs> And then you got a wicket that ball as yeah, well, ru- right? Ruined it, ruined <laughs> it. I thought it was, I didn't want all I didn't want to do was get hit for six, but um, it wouldn't have been real nice. But anyway, another record you have a random thing. So the only bowl ever to bowl thirty thousand balls without a a no ball in there. I got a few records. To be honest yeah. What do you put that down to? Why do you do you think spin bowlers should never be bowling no balls? Because a lot of them still do. Um, I don't know. I'm. Superstitious, aren't I? So I start off the same foot every time. I've got the same amount of steps that I need to do, and um, there's no point bowling a no ball if you get a wicket, is there? So just kind of try and keep foot behind it. We've seen a lot of them the last couple of years. Wickets off Too no many. balls as well, so that would burn. Now, last question: um, Just do you have any final advice or, or, or a message to to kids or young people out there that that have a dream, whether it be on on the on the sporting field or otherwise, that the odds may seem stacked against them? Uh, oh, whether it's advice or it's just my opinion, it's um, it's never as far as way as what you actually think it is. Um, and that, that's for me. Um, if you go out there, work hard, um, 
don't fear failing mm. and don't be surprised by success and you'll go a long way. And I think to that message you just said, your career, like even if you don't want to listen to the words, just look at you as an example and that's as clear as day. So Nathan Lyon, thank you so much. Again, you're very generous giving us your time. Good luck with the the, the summer ahead. I'll be watching every ball and for that, for that magical 500 and hopefully hundreds more to come after then. So thanks again, mate. I, I appreciate your time. Uh, too easy. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.